Hello, everyone. Today I'm going to read the scripture, which you can find in your uh, bulletin. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us, the wa give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there with water for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock, livestock, livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand there before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, to come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the, uh, of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning to all of you. And uh, good to see some old friends back here. The Steele family, welcome. The Balducci's, I think some of them are here, which is wonderful. Uh, and certainly Davidson and Katie and children, such a pleasure to have you guys here. Love just hearing you, you talk earlier. Well, we're going to resume our uh, series in Exodus with Exodus 17, 1 through 7. It's a brief passage, it's a brief story, but so timely and so relevant for us. Well, it was, in, uh, it was in 1962 that a movie was released, a great movie called Mutiny on the Bounty. Mutiny on the Bounty. Some of you may remember that movie. I've maybe, maybe seen other. It was a book and there are other movies like that. Mutiny on the Bounty. But it's based on the true story of the English naval vessel HMS Bounty which sailed from England in 1787 on an economic mission in the South Pacific. True story. The ship's captain was a man by the name of William Bly. While they were in the South Pacific, they decamped at an island and were there for a while and discipline broke down on the ship. People didn't want to submit to military discipline. They wanted to stay on the island. They wanted to do what, whatever they wanted to do. So Captain Bly began to enforce military discipline with the people that were supposed to be part of his ship. Disaffected crewmen led by a man by the name of Fletcher Christian seized control of the ship from their captain. Thus, 
there was mutiny on the bounty. Well, in this passage of scripture, we're gonna take a look at another mutiny, an earlier mutiny. We're calling this mutiny at Meribah, mutiny at Meribah. Now, I wondered whether to use a title that would have an unfamiliar place location in it, because a lot of us, if we're unfamiliar with the meaning of Meribah, we might, we might confuse it or we might not understand what's going on, but I chose to keep the word in because it's a very important location in the Bible and it was the location of this famous mutiny described in Exodus 17. So we have this in this passage, the mutiny at Meribah where the people of Israel rebelled against Moses and against God in the wilderness. Couple things about this. Why is this, why is this story recorded in the Bible? Well, it is, it is there because it is a warning to us. There's a psalm, Psalm 65, which refers to it. There are several places in the Bible, excuse me, Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is one of several places in the Bible that refer to this mutiny, that refer to this rebellion. And I want you to hear these words from Psalm 95. It says in verse seven, at the end of Psalm 95, seven, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. This story stands as a warning to all of God's people throughout all generations and that's why it's in the Bible. When you read a passage of scripture, what you see here is what we might call an error to avoid. It's note to self, this is an error to avoid. Mutiny against God. You know, when you're reading a passage of scripture, it's good to have a plan for reading it. And when I was a young Christian, I heard about a reading plan for the Bible that went something like this. When you read a passage, especially a story from the Old Testament, to ask several questions about it. Questions like this, is there an example in this passage for me to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a sin to forsake? Is there a promise to claim? And is there a new thought about God? And many times over the years, I've used that little outline to sort of dig into a passage and understand it. Now, some of you thought, well, I'd like to use that outline. Here's how you can remember it. Think of this acrostic. Every Christian enjoys secret prayer time. Example to follow, command to obey, error to avoid, a sin to for is there a sin to forsake, a promise to claim, or a new thought about God. But so what we get as we study this passage is we see some examples of these types of questions. And one is we have here an error to avoid. So let's get into the passage. We're gonna have a simple two or three point outline today. And first I wanna describe the situation before we get into our outline. So take a look back at verse one. Look at what's happening in the story. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. 
but there was no water for the people to drink. I want you to notice something about that passage. It says that they moved out in response to the command of the Lord. We know from elsewhere in Exodus that they were following a, uh, they were following a pillar of clouds. So they had the presence of God with them and so they went out obediently to this location. They went from the wilderness of sin to Rephidim. That was the original name until Moses changed it to Meribah. Okay, so I wanna make that clear. One observation here, though, is that in the faith journey, because the people of Israel here, their journey is a picture of our faith journey, a couple things happen on the faith journey. One is sometimes even when you were obedient to God, which they were, they were following the commandment of the Lord. Even when you were obedient to God, stuff happens. Testing happens in our lives. Unexpected things happen in our lives. And we see that throughout their journey in, uh, in the book of Exodus. So that's one of the things that we observe about this passage. The other thing is, the situation is there was no water to drink. And so they've got this thirst that's going on. And that is what leads to the mutiny at Meribah. So two simple points, and then a, a closing thought about Christ being our rock. Here are the two points. Number one, the mutiny of the people, and number two, the mercy of God. The mutiny of the people and the mercy of God. So let's talk a little bit about the mutiny. Remember, this is a warning passage. It is an error to avoid. So let's talk about the mutiny. Let's go on through the text, through the passage, and I want you to notice something in verse two. It says, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. They quarreled with Moses. So that's the first thing. They quarreled, the word, the word uh, quarreled is translated Meribah. And that is why Moses renamed this location Meribah. They quarreled with the Lord, it says, and said, give us water to drink. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me and why do you test the Lord? So there's a quarrel, there is testing going on, and then it says in verse three, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. So those four verses talk about this mutiny at Meribah. And I wanna make a few observations about what happened in this mutiny. There's a lot of really good stuff to learn here. The first thing is we see that they quarreled with Moses. The word for quarreled is Meribah. One more thing about Meribah. If you look at the title of the sermon in your bulletin, or if you look at the word at the end of this passage, you do see the word Meribah. In the middle of that word, there is a, a small word, rib, R-I-B. In the Hebrew, that word means a covenant lawsuit, a covenant lawsuit. So their quarreling with Moses is actually, they are bringing a suit against God. They are taking God to court. And that is why the scripture says that they tested God. They examined God. So they are not only quarreling, but they are testing God. Now this is an advancement from what we saw last week where we talked about the grumbling of the people when there was no bread. And it seems like why do these stories keep coming up in Exodus where they have a lack of something, they're tested and they grumble. They have a lack of something, they test and they grumble. And what I learned from that 
is I look at my own life and I see how many times I repeatedly fall again and again to the same lack of faith, the same sin when I'm tested. It happens over and over again. So the pattern really fits us. But this is this covenant lawsuit. It says that they tested the Lord. Now what does it mean for us to test God? or to bring God to trial, to put God in the dock, to put him on the witness stand and to charge God with something. What is going on in testing the Lord? What's happening there? Matthew Henry talks about this in his commentary and he says that they did not trust God's presence. God's presence was with them. He was in that cloud leading them, that pillar of cloud, but they didn't trust God's presence. They said, is the Lord among us or not? We learn that in verse seven. At the end of verse seven, they say, is the Lord among us or not? So one of the things they did was they did not trust God's presence. They doubted his presence. Number two, they did not trust God's providence, Matthew Henry says. They didn't trust his providence because something came up that was unplanned, unexpected, and cause them to doubt God and to doubt God's leading and God's promise and providence. And how many times has that happened to you and me? Where we get a curveball, something doesn't go our way, and we don't trust God's providence. And then finally, they don't trust God's promise. God's promise to take them to the promised land. He has promised them over and over again. He would take them to the land of milk and honey, but they get into a situation where there's a lack of water and they do not trust God's presence, they do not trust his providence, and they do not trust his promise. And then, you'll notice it says they wanted to stone Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord and said, they are getting ready to stone me. In other words, they are going to exact punishment on Moses, legal punishment, execution by stoning. That is what Moses feared. You guys, this is a mutiny. This is a mutiny against Moses. This is a mutiny against God. You know, when stuff like this happens in our life, when we get a curveball, when we don't have water, when we're not satisfied, when things are not going our way, how quickly we panic. How quickly we panic when the future is in doubt. Whether it's about our country, about our personal life, how, lives, how quickly we panic, and how quickly we blame. Because what they're doing here is they're blaming Moses. They want to execute Moses. And Moses explains, no, your quarrel is not with me. It is with God. But how quickly they want to, want to blame in this situation. You know, it's a really helpful thing for all of us when we encounter this kind of turbulent situation to look inside our hearts to really lift up the hood and ask the question, what is going on beneath the hood? I think of just this past week, things happening in my life where I have to look under the hood, an interaction with, uh, uh, with Molly over the weekend, and I notice what's going on, and I do those things. I'm doubting God's presence, I'm doubting God's providence, I'm doubting God's promise, but I look under the, under the hood, what's beneath that, and often it is pride, often it is unbelief, and that is the nature of my mutiny. In Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15, there's another passage about how this is a, a warning to us, and it says, 
it says to all followers of Christ, be careful that there is not in you an evil, unbelieving heart in turning away from the living God. And the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 3 is referring back to this incident. He's referring back to this mutiny saying, no to self, error to avoid, don't fall into having an unbelieving heart. Now it's interesting, you know, some of us might ask, well, why is, why is trusting God such a big deal to God? Why is unbelief tantamount to putting God on the witness stand and testing him? Really important to get this because unbelief is not necessarily doubting because there's nothing wrong with doubting. There's nothing wrong with asking God for evidence and for encouragement. There is nothing wrong with that. But in the Bible, unbelief is willful rebellion against what we already know. And that's why unbelief is testing God. So a lot of times we need to look in our hearts and say, Lord, what is going on here? Is there something in me that is not trusting your presence, your providence, and your promise? Back in 1982, Molly and I and our son Jonathan, when he was under two years old, we were on a mission trip to Tokyo, Japan. We were there for several weeks doing our work, and then we had to go, we were planning a week in China, 1982, so this was like ages ago. We were going to China, and we were taking a plane flight on Japan Airlines from the airport in Tokyo, the international airport, to Hong Kong. Along the way, on that flight, they had, we went through a monsoon. Now, I think that monsoon is the Pacific word for hurricane. It is the most turbulence, turbulence I think I've ever experienced in my life. And so there we were, we're going, we're flying over this monsoon and the plane is just being thrown all over the place. And we are so terrified, everybody is terrified. And suddenly, I need to visit the facilities. And so I, I unbutton, I unfasten my seatbelt and I stand up, and, and when, you, when you do that, when that needs to happen, and like the seat belt, fastened seatbelt sign is on, even the flight attendants are seated, planes knocking around, when you take off your seatbelt and you try to stand up, what is it that you want the most? You don't wanna be noticed. You just wanna make it straight there. So there I am, I'm standing up, and suddenly the flight attendant sees me and says, no, sit down, sit down. Go, what do I do? sit down. So I sit back down and I fasten my seatbelt and I've got to wait until we get past that turbulence. And so, but in that turbulence, what do we do? We do not mutiny against the captain. We do not put him on trial. We do not stone him, but we trust the captain because he's trained and he knows what to do. It's just a typical monsoon, just giving you some turbulence in life, but that captain is in control. And I get comfort from that. But that captain's just a human being and it's just a man-made flight and you know whatever. But here we're talking about the living God. The people of Israel are going through turbulence and they need to trust him instead of having mutiny. Now, did you know this was not the first mutiny in the Bible? It wasn't. You know what the first mutiny in the Bible was? Genesis chapter three when our first parents, 
their names, one was named Adam, the other was named Eve. And God said, I want you to trust me. Don't eat from this one tree, but any other tree is fine. They said, no, we do not trust your word. The devil caused them to doubt. They ate of that tree, and that was the first mutiny, the first rebellion. And ever since that rebellion, God has been pursuing rebels and rescuing them and redeeming them, and that is the great story of Scripture. So this passage, this story, fits into the whole larger pattern of Scripture. Now let's go on to our second point. We've talked about the mutiny of the people, but now let's talk about the mercy of God, because I want you to notice what happens next in this brief, brief story. We saw that Moses, what did he do? He cried out to God, said, they're about to stone me. Okay, back to our Bible study method. Is there an example for me to follow in, the, in this passage? Yes, Moses cried out to God. That is a good thing to do. That is what the people of Israel should have done. It is what Moses did, and that is what we should do when we are tested, when we lack water, when we're out of control, when we have turbulence in our flight and we're worried to put our trust in God and to cry out to him, and that is what Moses did. So then God answers him, and I want you to see the answer. Verse five, the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Now why did he take the elders with him? So we have elders in this church. Took the elders with him. They were gonna, remember this is, a, this is according to a lot of scholars, this is a trial. They are putting God in the dock. They are putting God on the witness stand. You bring the elders along as witnesses at the trial. So take some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now the staff with which Moses struck the Nile was a staff of judgment. There were the 10 plagues and he judged it and he struck the Nile and the Nile opened up for them but judged the people of, of Egypt so that Staff represented the authority of God, including the authority to judge. Now here's a good question we should be asking because in Mutiny on the Bounty, you know what the British government did to the mutineers and to the rebels? They hunted them down and they punished them and they executed some of them by hanging. If you commit mutiny, whether it's me on a Japan Airlines flight or whether you're in a, in, in a ship, in any century when you commit mutiny, that government will hunt you down and they will punish you for that because it is the wrong thing to do. So when you see the staff, you're thinking, what is God gonna do to all these rebels and all these people that are committing mutiny here? So look at what, ha what happens. He's got the staff and look at verse six. Now verse six, there's a surprise in this verse. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now Horeb, what was, where was Horeb? Back in Exodus three, the call of Moses, the burning bush, God appeared to him in the burning bush. So they're at this rock and they're back at Horeb where, where Moses met God at the burning bush. He says, I will stand before you there on the rock. Now, spoiler right here. A lot of theologians believe that God's appearance to the people of Israel on the rock 
was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In other words, before Christ was born on earth, he appears in certain places in the Old Testament. It's called a theophany. So it's potentially a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ because God himself says, I will stand on that rock at Horeb. And look at what he says next, the next part of verse six. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it and the people will drink. And so this rod of authority, instead of striking the people, instead of striking judgment on the people, this rod is now striking instead the rock that has God on it. In effect, God is being struck for them. And the rock means, the rock refers to God as our king. And so that, that rock is being smitten by that rod and then it opens up and all these waters, the, all these waters of mercy come flooding out on these rebellious mutineers. The people that committed mutiny got water but it was the rock that was smitten by the staff. Is it amazing surprise because at Mutiny on the Bounty, all the bad guys were smitten. All of them had to pay the price. In this place, the people that committed, committed the mutiny were given water. Water shall come out of it, verse six, and the people will drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. What an amazing story. What an amazing picture of the gospel. Because you and I were part of that first mutiny of Adam and Eve. That first mutiny has been ratified over and over throughout the centuries to this day where each of us individually have rebelled against God. But God says rather than punish the rebels, those who trust in the cross will be forgiven and forgiveness will flow from that cross, life will flow from that cross, and Christ will be punished in our place. That is called substitutionary atonement. In case there was anybody here that wanted me to just say those words. God in Christ was our substitute on the cross and mutineers, rebels, get to go and I think, wow, what an amazing, amazing picture of the gospel. What a great, great story. Now you say, Mike, that's a little bit fanciful, that view of this passage. I just thought, you know, error to avoid, example to follow. How do you know that Christ was in this story? Well, did you check the quotes in your bulletin at the beginning? Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four. Look at that quote. It says, for they drank. This is Paul writing about this. Paul studied Exodus 17. And everybody knew the story. It's part of our family album. And Paul says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Oh, that's where we get it. Yes, the New Testament interprets the old for us. Look at the quote, now, now while we're here, look at the quote by Matthew Henry. Now, this was from several centuries ago. Like, we're not, we're not in the Geneva school, like, making this up. Look at what Matthew Henry said. He said, the graces and comforts of the Spirit 
flow from Christ, who is the rock smitten by the law of Moses. Nothing will satisfy needs and satisfy the desires of a soul, but water out of this rock, a fountain opened. The pleasures of sense are puddle water. We just sang about that. The pleasures of sense are puddle water. Spiritual delights are rock water, so pure, so refreshing, rivers of pleasure. So that's our third point, just briefly in the sermon. The rock was Christ. Christ took the punishment for all of us mutineers in the room. He took punishment for the rebels. And so when we go to communion in a few minutes, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember his death for us. We look back, not, not just on our mutiny, but we look back on what Christ did for us, substitutionary atonement, our Savior, our substitute dying for us, and we look back and we thank God that even my mutiny yesterday, even our mutiny this week is forgiven through Christ, not because we've earned it, but because of what he has done for us. That is grace, that is mercy, and that is the gospel. So what does it mean that he's the rock? Number one, it means that he took the punishment in our place, but that's, he's not done. Number two, it means that when that rock was struck, that out of it flows the waters of life, the waters of what the Bible calls regeneration, our new life in Christ, the waters of renewal, the waters of transformation that change our hearts, that change us from rebels into people that now have a little bit different bent. We're not perfect, but we want to please him. We want to follow him. Because remember, there was a mutiny in Genesis chapter three, and God has been chasing down rebels, and he has found you. The one, the one whose soul you craved, he has found you. He chased you down, and he gives you the water of life. My friends, this is the good news of the gospel. And it's also the meaning of the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember his death, but we also, in the same way that the people of Israel drank water from that rock, you think, oh Lord, give me some water. I need water in my life. I need satisfaction. I need renewal. I need power. I need a changed heart. Where do you get that? You get that from Christ, and one of the ways we get it is in the Lord's Supper, and even with these little COVID packets that we're using where we can't even get the wafer out of there, think of what it really means and what it's talking about, and that is we are being nourished by Christ. We are getting our water, our refreshment, our grace that we need from him. You know, there's a, there's a close with this. There's a great story. This is why reading the Bible is so good, you guys. You've gotta read the Gospel of John if you've never done it. In John chapter four, there is a story called the woman at the well. This is a woman who met Jesus at noon in the heat of the day because she had shame in her life. She had her own mutiny against God and she met Jesus. And she said, sir, would you give me some water from this well? He was glad to do it, but he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. And she said, Lord, give me some of that living water. And she believed in Christ. 
Her sins were forgiven. Her life was changed. A rebel was reclaimed. And the story of the woman at the well is the story of all of us. That's what the gospel is about. That's what Exodus 17 is about. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. Will you put your trust in him? Will you renew your faith? The turbulence in your life right now, will you put your trust in him? Let's not commit mutiny against the pilot of our turbulent aircraft, personal life, wherever it is. Will you trust him? And even better, will you believe in Christ as your substitute? Will you drink of the water he offers you? Let's pray together. Lord, as we prepare in these moments for the Lord's Supper, our hearts and our minds are now filled with the gospel truth of Scripture. And we now know, Lord, that you are the one who gives us bread. You are the one who gives us the water of life. And so even as we share in the Lord's Supper today, we set apart this wafer, this grape juice from its ordinary use, and by faith, we put our trust in the work of Christ. By faith, we come as rebels who have been forgiven, asking for your grace and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.